Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fearscape Media Network. Exploring the unknown. One podcast at a time. Hi friends, this is Kelly with Wishful Drinking and Binge Thinking, the podcast where I get just absolutely hammered and I dole out psychological advice. That's right, I am going to be more drunk than that girl you met in the bar bathroom after your karaoke set who said, you have such good stage presence, oh my god. That's right, zero preparation multiple drinks, countless profound gems. Tune in the last Monday of every month on Fearscape Media Network. Hey everybody, Stefan here. This episode is sponsored by the great folks over at Box Mountain. Box Mountain is a subscription box service that has my favorite sub box yet, the Cryptid Crate. You see, Josh got one of these for his birthday, and I was super jealous because it was packed full of merchandise pertaining to cryptids. The box he received first was all about the Flatwoods Monster, which of course is one of our favorites. And it had a t-shirt, a book, a patch, mug, and some awesome stickers. So I checked out the price to get one for myself, and let me tell you, it is well worth the value. These make excellent gifts for yourself or even friends that are cryptid lovers as well. Now, if you use the coupon code FEARSCAPE, you will get 25% off the first month for any new subscription or 10% off individual purchases. So go ahead and head on over to FearscapePodcast.com slash CryptidCrate now and get yourself one today. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Happy that you're able to join us as we continue to explore and try to understand the strange phenomenon that seems to exist all over the world. Stefan and I are on a journey and we share that journey with you. Ladies and gentlemen, to another fantastic episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Stefan Gearhart, and I am joined, as always, by the oddly shaped, yet rotund, in a positive way, my co-host, Josh Rutledge. How are you, buddy? I'm pretty good. If you think that I'm rotund in that I am circular, I guess that's good. I I actually, know. I was wanting to say more rotunda 
uh, but I was afraid you would get invaded by um, by protesters, so I didn't want to. Oh. Too soon. Hashtag too soon. Hashtag too soon. All right. Uh, But no, uh, we got a really cool episode tonight, man. One of our favorite people um, who we've been just excited about having on our show, Mr. John E.L. Tenney. This guy is a renaissance man. He, he, He investigates everything, UFOs, the paranormal, the occult phenomena, everything. He's been on Paranormal State, Ghost Stalkers, Paranormal Lockdown, Kindred Spirits, and of course, two episodes of Hellier. Um, and so we couldn't not talk about Tenny even when we were talking to Connor uh, a few months back yeah. because they've become pretty good buddies. Um, but I, I like to refer to him as the uh, Hunter S. Thompson of the paranormal world because he just does not give a shit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I was watching. He's got a he's got a, a YouTube channel, and I was watching. He's got this little video on there that uh, is like an introduction or a commercial for who mm-hmm. he is. And he's like watch, walking across a cemetery wearing like a sweater vest. And I'm like, oh, he's like Mr. Rogers. And then it's funny, he gets to the end and he's like the Mr. Rogers of the paranormal. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, so his YouTube channel um, has a huge, uh, huge following. He's got a podcast called Realm of the Weird. And of course, his weird lectures, I mean, which is just fantastic. It's his website that I, I peruse all the time. Um, you know, like just talking on, uh, you know, just looking at all of his blogs and just different things like that. I, I love the way this man thinks. So we're going to be chit chatting with him and, uh, I get ready. It's going to be crazy, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we got to get moving on. We need to get into our segments of the week, Josh. Um, so the first one of course is the psychic word of the week. And now. Uh... Psychic word of the week. All right, psychic word of the week comes from the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear. Um, so I flipped through uh, this time without getting a number from you, and I landed on the letter H. And when I opened up this page 293, what I saw was the phrase human omens. And I was like, ooh, that sounds good. Uh, So here's what it says for human omens. It says to feel bodily sensations and reactions to environmental situations, other persons and universal changes. A normal function of the body is to sense and know what is going on in the universe because body and universe are all one system. A change in one thing in the universe affects all other things. The body constantly tells the individual what is happening around it, but humanity has blocked this out over many incarnations as each became concerned with personal affairs. This was mankind's protective mechanism. As a protective mechanism, the body now only emphasizes some things to call one's attention to it. For example, one, hair standing on the end, goose pimples or duck bumps. I've never heard it called duck bumps. Um, I've I've heard chicken skin, which is a weird one too, but that's not in here. Uh, So goose bumps, uh, let's see where to go. I lost my (laughs) talking about duck bumps. (laughs) 
uh, occurring when the individual is listening to statements that are truthful as opposed to a lie and statements that bear a universal truth, whether being surfaced by one's self or another. This is the most common of all human omens. Number two, chills running up and down the spine, indicating a warning of oncoming activity. Three, tingling in the spine or neck area, indicating that the kundalini is acting and soon a hunch or intuitive thought will surface. Four, the meaning of itches and sneezes are individual to their owner and outside their usual category. Each individual has these signals and his own personal signals, which should be recognized and learned. So, yeah, it's basically what it is, is your body letting you know yeah. something's happening. Right. You know, we, we've talked about that before. It's kind of the whole thought that you're like your unconscious mind remembers things about your, you know, humanity's past. Maybe not. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost a sense of last week's word, the biocommunication, right? Like right. That's, it almost fits into that strangely enough. Also, uh, uh, Peter Tingle as, as in the <laughs> Peter Tingle, yeah, in the Spider-Man, Spider-Man mm-hmm. movie, the, so. into the Spider Verse. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, it's just, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you 100. percent It's just, just basically that that you know she that set it in there as well. But yeah, intuition is essentially your body yeah. giving off some sort of signal, like an eye twitch, even like yeah. <laughs> Or if you have so, a sneezing fit out of nowhere. Yeah, or like Elastic Man on the Flash, I smell a mystery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so human omens. I really, really like that. I, I never thought about them uh, having a, a term for what that was. So. Yep. All right. Well, then let's get into our uh, still pretty new segment, uh, uh, Cryptid of the Week. It's a Jersey Devil. Hope y'all are ready to meet some of my friends. Cryptid of the Week. All right, so we are looking at a cryptid uh, of the week this week, Josh. Thank you to the the, uh, the Jersey Jersey Devil Devil for letting us meet his friends. Um, But yeah, who do do we got this week that we want to introduce everyone to? All right, so I am going to attempt uh, to pronounce this, but it is a um, a Japanese name, and it is Akurakumui. Akurakumui. I'm I'm go for it. That sounds good to me. <laughs> Akurakumui. Akurak Akurakumui. There we go. Akurakumui. Um, God bless uh, you. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so shrines dedicated to Akurakumui. Uh, dot the Japanese landscape because the creature can amputate and regrow its tentacles. Meditations at the shrines are thought to aid healing and spiritual turmoil. Um, For centuries, the indigenous Ainu people of Japan have passed down stories of the Akinakaburi from generation to generation, said to lurk in Funka Bay, Funko Pop Bay, I think, is what they meant. Funko um, Pop Bay. <laughs> off the island of Hokkaido, uh, the enormous 12 tentacled red giant, more than a football field in length, is both feared and worshipped. Uh, it's the octopus like creature similar to the Kraken, uh, a work of fiction or factual being. It's hard to know, but its reputation for swallowing vessels whole. Um, 
forced fishermen to sail through the bay at alert. Um, it's really interesting because they've got some pictures in here and the tentacles, uh, the drawings here, uh, they actually have like a talon on the end of the tentacle instead of just like, so it's got suction cups like a, like an octopus, but at the very end, it also has this huge talon that can how do you, shred how do you through spell things. That? The name of the yeah. beast? A-K-K-O-R-O-K-A-M-U-I. Um, it, it's got like a, so in, in the in the 19th century, a missionary by the name of John uh, Bachelor recorded in ancient stories in his book, The Ainu and Their Folklore, and it says, three men were out trying to catch a swordfish when all at once a great sea monster with large staring eyes appeared in front of them and proceeded to attack the boat. A desperate fight ensued. The monster was round in shape and emitted a dark fluid and noxious odor. The three men fled in dismay, not so much intended indeed for fear, they say, but on account of the dreadful smell. Mm. Well, here's something. Uh, so one of the other images of it, the, the, I just had to look it up here, that talks about it being half human, half half octopus, because it's also known as the Eshkatane Mat, which stands for the long-fingered woman. Um, but it's actually a woman, half like half her body, the bottom half is not like a mermaid, but like an octopus, much like Ursula. Ursula yeah. is technically an Akurakuami. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, my mind is blown. Had no idea. I was like, <laughs> where did they come up with making her like half a woman, half an octopus? Well, apparently it's from Japanese lore. <laughs> Interesting. So now we know that uh, that Ursula is one of the Akorakamui. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, um, it also, you know, you, you think about a lot of the, you know, kind of the thoughts we've talked about lately with uh well it makes me think about the interview with with Kyle um uh, Cadell when he talked about you know does Bigfoot for example you know like come in from a different dimension hunt here and then go back to the the, the dimension right and you know is that true for a lot of these creatures like are they just kind of like phasing in and out of our dimension from their dimension or you know so on and so forth so and that's why they are here for a while and then they seemingly disappear and then you know signs of them pop back up again a few you know years later and then they disappear again because our if you think of like two soap bubbles our dimensions are kind of floating around mm -hmm. and every now and then they come into contact with each other and when they do that things can cross over and then yep. they come out of contact with each other so yep uh the kraken is another one kraken is another aku raku aku raku aku raku mori sure uh but yeah and uh so anyways yeah really cool one really really interesting uh just i love when there's a disney connection for us so gotta always appreciate <laughs> that um but let's get out of the uh and move into our uap sighting of the week all right josh we are looking at our unidentified aerial phenomena i already forgot which one was which which one's single 
But phenomenon. Phenomenon is single. <laughs> Phenomena. <laughs> It has more letters. Um, all right. Uh, but yeah, our UAP sighting of the week. Where are we pulling this from this week, Josh? So this comes from MUFON. And what's really interesting, I think, is that uh, since um, that show on history that I always forget the name of with Lil Zondo. Identified. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to call it Undisclosed, and I know that's yep. not the right answer. Nope. But <clears throat> anyway, since that show... More and more reports on MUFON are using the terminology UAP. Interesting. So, just well, I I do know that um, since we're both members of MUFON, I've been seeing a lot of stuff being pushed and referenced as UAPs uh, yeah. in in their um, in their paperwork and stuff as well. So, oh, and in a, on a side note, just talking about kind of that show and, and to the Stars Academy, I was looking at the Black Vault. Uh, mm-hmm. Today, downloading Great. downloading Great. those CIA, yeah. CIA docs that were recently released. Like yep. I downloaded the the big zip file, and um, uh, they have a report on there that they uh, recently tried to do a Freedom of Information Act for Department of Defense information as it relates to To the Stars Academy, and it was denied. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's hiding something oh boy wow that boy you know you're getting close to something yeah really you know yeah. you're getting close to something man That's... so anyways here's our uap of the week so this comes from glenn bernie maryland I was standing in the kitchen watching television, turned to look out the window and saw it within the tree line. It looked like a large orb with a fire within it. It remained stationary. I turned off the TV and the lights in the kitchen. It looked like it was giving off light. I opened the sliding glass door to get a better look. As I observed the object, it seemed to get dimmer. I closed and locked the glass door and went back to the spot where I first observed it. I turned my head to check on something. When I turned back, it had disappeared. Then I went to my family room to check on my daughter. She was asleep on the couch. I looked out to my backyard and saw two eyes, silver in color, and set further apart than humans. No body was visible. They also blinked out. I observed that area for about five minutes. Man, so we had we had a uh, entity as well. Yeah. So Ooh. not just the UAP, but but actually something uh, checking on her. Yeah. And it, and it makes me wonder if if uh, because she opened her sliding door, that was like some sort of an indication that you know she was there it also made me think that by her opening her sliding door it may have changed the reflection of whatever it was as being perceived by that thing like so when you think about a lot of the stories and accounts and even our own experiences when you flash a light at whatever it is it, it, it will respond back to you right right so if there's this thing hovering in a tree line and you open your sliding glass door and that changes that light reflecting back. It, that's almost like a signal 
yeah. to that thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so an unintentional signal, perhaps. But so maybe that's why there was an entity coming to like check on them. I mean, that's what happened to us, right? We signaled that thing in my backyard. Yeah. And then 15 minutes later, it was like behind us, getting really close. And then all of a yeah. sudden, phew, so. yeah. And, you know, like, I know they said silver eyes, but that still reminded me very much of the Kentucky Goblins, um, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Kind of fit into that. Uh, I don't know. Just, ooh, I give, give, it, that <laughs> gave me duck bumps. <laughs> <laughs> duck bumps, chicken skin. It seems like duck bumps would have been like some sort of a child cereal in the 80s. I know. I like, just want to be like duck bumps. Woo. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, but as usual, I always like to thank uh, the person that uh, sent that in. I love that, you know, um, that people are brave enough to do that. You know, the, the cool thing about MUFON and New Fork and stuff like that is I'm glad that it's A, easily searchable um, and that it's large enough that people, when trying to figure out what to do with their sighting, um, are able to find some if they're not already UFO nuts. So. Yeah, and speaking of MUFON, did you ever actually follow back around with your people trying to get in touch with you? I did. I did. Uh, the one person from Louisville um, has not gotten back to me. Um, the uh, the Arizona person, we are trying to find a good time. Um, I'm, I got a job starting on Monday, and so it's with moving. Yeah. It, it's been hectic, so. Yeah. So it might have to be sometime in the next week or two um, in the evening, I think, is what's going to end up having yeah. to happen. <laughs> so, so, but yes, cool I am though. meeting. Uh, yeah, we are talking about trying to figure out a time to meet. So, and I'm like, man, cool. you go because those, it's going out of my head. So, yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into uh, Creepy Ketchup. That way we can get into talking to John Tenney. Creepy Ketchup. Creepy Catch-up. Creepy catch-up. Creepy catch-up. Y'all, it's creepy. All right, creepy catch-up. Man, I have not had any in a couple weeks, and then all of a sudden, bam, did I have something super scary. <laughs> so, like, man, so I'll go first because I know my second thing is the thing we're both going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but, man, I was driving. Um, I've been doing a lot of back and forth from the old apartment to the new apartment because I just moved into a brand new apartment. And uh, I was driving. Uh, uh, had a load. Nope. Nope. Didn't even have a load full of stuff because I had just emptied it all. So I was heading back to the other place to pick more stuff up. It was evening. And uh, I kept seeing at this certain point, I got duck bumps. Okay, all of a sudden, and I look in my rearview mirror and I see this a hand like behind my head, like over um, would have actually been my right shoulder um, behind me and no arm underneath of it that I could really tell. And I I noticed it kind of out of the corner of my eye. Um, And of course, when I go to look at it full on like the um, the light. Um, so like the, a street light would hit and it would, di- yeah. it would, it disappeared. Uh, and then it would go dark and I would see the skin. This lasted for a, a solid five, six minutes. I was freaking out. Like I'm trying to like reach back and yeah, I can't touch it. And it is moving. It's not like it's stationary. Like, Oh, I've just got like a mic stand sitting back there. No, I mean, it was, it kind of be moving and floating and move a little forward. Uh, fingers would kind of bend sometimes and stuff like that. I mean, this was a full on hand. This was not 
uh, just a shadow or anything, but it seemed maybe, like it got distorted when the light would hit it. Maybe your uh, the spirit that was at your old place followed you to your new place. Maybe, maybe should ask Vashti now. But yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it's odd. I mean, that was God just a few days after we talked to Vashti that that happened and i mean it really freaked me out like because uh, no one wants to see a damn hand so i mean like i'm yeah. immediately like first thing i do is i look back thinking it's oh god there's someone in my my back seat you know because like that first time i saw it even though it was out of the corner of my eye it, it seemed solid as all get out and then i'm i'm pretty much able to look at it full on um and it was a white person's hand like you know like as far as i could tell it seemed brighter than you know any yeah. other skin tone and yeah i don't know it was man it creeped me out dude like That's and i was crazy. just like and i was just like stop it do you freaking me out and sometime right around there is when i stopped seeing it and you know it's not like i turned onto a new street or yeah. i mean i was continuing because you know out uh Phoenix is on a big grid. So, I mean, it's like I'd take this road like the whole way down. Um, yeah, it was just, man, it creeped me out. Like, I'm still like nervous talking about it right now. Mm. <laughs> like, because I haven't had anything happen in a while. And then that yeah. just floating over my damn head. So, ugh. but yeah, the second thing, I guess, is the thing well, that we can talk about. What? Before you go into that, because that's the thing we're both going to talk about. Yeah. Let me say my weird so when did that happen with the hand what about like what three or four maybe, days ago yeah sunday or monday maybe maybe even okay. tuesday I maybe mean, it was just a few days ago so like uh this past saturday i was going to my parents house for mm-hmm. to celebrate christmas because they weren't in town on christmas yeah and um i was carrying some stuff out to put in the back of my car and for some reason i glanced at my driver's side mirror and I saw a face looking back at me. And so like I did I did kind of like a double take and I looked back and it was gone. Hmm. But I mean, like I even like tested like, you know, could I have been at some sort of an angle where my face reflection would have appeared sure. in my mirror? No, it, it's and then I mean, it was like it wasn't like a reflection type mirror like appearance. I mean, it was like a full on face looking hmm. at me. So that made me, it's interesting that I saw a face in a mirror and you saw a hand in a mirror. I wonder if Santosh saw a foot. <laughs> like, or like a belly get, button. It's like oh, getting those, uh, it's like getting those Marvel action figures where you get like a piece of a bigger action yeah, figure and you right. got to buy all seven or whatever. Gotta, it's like got to collect them all. Yeah. So we're like, so. hey, Tenny, man, have you seen, have you seen a, a neck? <laughs> have you seen any feet or necks? In, <laughs> or in your, knees. In your anything? mirrors? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, oh. the the second part of the creepy catch up is that you, me, and Santosh have uh, discussed. I don't remember who, which one of you discovered it. Um, was Santosh. it you? Santosh? Santosh. The Gateway Experience, a CIA uh, created um, hemisync. Well, so it wasn't CIA created. Oh, I thought it, it was. was. No, it was big. It, it was really big in the early '80s, and the CIA checked into it, like they investigated mm. it to see if it was worth pursuing and they like did this whole report on it and everything oh Uh, i thought that they did it as a way to get their subjects like an mk ultra or whatever like uh, no no no. this was just this was just another thing that was like introduced as a part of i'm trying to remember the name of the it's like the 
Millstone Institution or something mm-hmm. like that, and the, and it got the interest of the CIA. Well, yeah, it's a series of uh, guided meditations using what's called hemisync, where it uses separate tones on either sides of your headphones. You have to wear headphones as a way to um, use both sides of your brain to uh, sync. Um, and good lord, it it works. Yeah. Um, there, those tones get going. I, I, and I will say, before I get into the downer side of things, um, I I've actually been able to just go say the number three and kind of flip back into relax mode, um, like it t- teaches you in the first one. Yeah. Um, so that's very very interesting. But yeah, so we all then- made. Well, you did it first. Right. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, maybe Santosh did it first. No, I think I you did it first, and and you were like, "Oh man, I did this last night, and yeah. I feel drained." Blah blah blah. And so my dumbass was like, "Oh, I should do it before I go to bed too." <laughs> so like the next night or two or whatever is when I decide to do it. And I will tell you what, man. So one of the things is is with Hemisync is is like it doesn't it, it doesn't matter if you fall asleep it's still doing what it needs to do. Yeah. That's everything that I've read on, because there's a lots of different Hemisync stuff that's still out there. Um, but anyways, it's like, you know, hey, you may fall asleep and that's okay. Blah, 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 blah. Well, it's like, it gets to the end of that and then it's like, I wake up. I, but I don't think I fell asleep. I think I was like tranced out like I do when I meditate, like where you just kind of are gone. Yeah. Um, which is the whole point is that your body's asleep, but your mind's active. And he's like, you know, I'm going to count to three. And when we hit three, you are going to be wide awake. And I'm like, hurry up and finish this. I'm so freaking tired. I just want to go back to bed. I, I like, I woke up, you know, right when he says, and now we're going to blah, blah, blah. So then he hits three and dude, my whole body just comes alive. And yeah. I was wide freaking awake for yeah. uh, the next 45 minutes. Like I was just like, uh, after having just fallen asleep, this is like three o'clock in the morning and I'm wide awake, dude. Like this legit worked. But the next day, dude, just like you, know, I had a headache. Yeah. I was just like, man, I felt like I ran a marathon. Like my body was all out of sync. And the same thing with the second one, like it just kind of messed my brain up a little bit. I'm afraid to keep going on because it's like I've had nightmares. I've been like um, down and depressed and I don't know why. Like it just kind of hit me yesterday. Yep. Like Sarah was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. I think it's this meditation thing I'm doing. Like, I I don't know. I guess. But, yeah. Yeah. But, so I So I've had. Since I've done it, I had the headache as soon as after, uh, and then every night since I've done it, which I've done, I've did the fourth one today, by the way. Um, but every every night since I've done it, I've had the most vivid, weird dreams that I've had in hmm. years. And what's really crazy is, like, you know, there have been times when I've had a number of weird dreams, but I only remember the most recent one when I wake up, right? Yeah. Um, but when I wake up now, I remember every dream individually as it was happening in wow. details, like very a lot of details about each dream. It's it's and, almost as if it's like um it's like super powered your didactic memory. Yeah. You know, to include dream. Also, um in the third uh exercise they teach you how to quickly go into um, the phase ten state. Mm-hmm. Like they basically—it's a good card game. They yeah, they, 
they basically put a hypnotic suggestion in your brain that says anytime you want to go into the state all you have to do is do these things well so uh this the third night after i listened to that third one i thought hey what would it be like if i went to bed and put myself into phase 10 and then just went to hmm. sleep um don't do that <laughs> don't, don't do that i'm glad um, you said that because i probably yeah. would have tried i'm mad I, that i'm still going to continue to do these because <laughs> <laughs> i had the weird the, i mean like it was the weird like i had a dream that a friend of mine that like i like i was at a restaurant and he was there and i didn't realize it was him and i went to leave and he was like he chased me down he's like hey man what's going on and when i turned around to look at him his his forearm was like surgically fused to his bicep mm. and he and, like on both arms and he was walking around like this like for surgically fused and i asked him, I was like what happened to your arms and he was like oh man i i hurt my arms really bad and they um so they fused my uh my forearm and my bicep together so that i wouldn't have any permanent nerve damage and it would keep my arm alive until they can figure out how to fix it wow which i mean sounds scientifically plausible mm -hmm. <laughs> that like that would be a thing you know um so anyways but it, it, yeah just a number of weird dreams but um last night i actually had when i was falling asleep i had like a weird vision of like um this building that i can't recognize like i don't recognize for anything that i know and i've tried doing an internet search for it and i can't find it anywhere but inside this building they were doing uh like scientific experiments on all kinds of different like types of aliens and hybrids and this is the second time that i've had such right. a dream if you remember mm -hmm. um and then like in a later part in the dream i was like chasing this entity around these corridors uh like it was just just out of sight like i could see the shadow of it as it was rounded in the corner and then i was chasing it and then all of a sudden like i froze and i zoomed out and I like I zoomed out of a mountain in Antarctica. It was crazy. It was crazy. So, mm, I but if you yeah, were I in mean, Hollow Earth before then. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I I did. Uh, so, like I said, I did number four today, which is all about uh, relaxing and stuff. So, hopefully, that'll help me sleep better tonight. I will say that ever since I did number four uh, this af this afternoon or this morning, I've been tired all day. Like it's just like my body's like you need to go to bed. Yeah. So. You know, it's always funny that I'm always, it seems like I'm always tired on the nights that we record the podcast, but we always, it always tends out to be, you know, work out well. So yeah. we'll see how tonight goes. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, unless you got anything else, that's our creepy catch up. Um, I, I, I've had a few other things that I'm just kind of writing off, so I'm not even going to mention, yeah. them, but I think that's just moving into a new place. Um, noises from downstairs or whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah, other than that, let's go ahead and take a quick ad break. And uh, then we're going to have John E.L. Tenney. Hey everybody, Josh here with Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I've got glasses. Um, and one of the things that I really hate with wearing my mask um, is that my glasses constantly fog. Yeah, I've got the kind of mask that you can pinch the nose and it's supposed to keep the glasses from fogging, but it still fogs. Now, sometimes I just get outside on a cold day, come back in the house, my glasses fog. Get out to pump gas, 
my glasses fog. So one of the things that I came across is this uh, spray bottle that is uh, anti, uh, anti-fog spray. And you spray it on and you wipe it off and then it protects your glasses and keeps them from fogging. And I'm going to tell you, this stuff is spectacular. Um, I've even cleaned my glasses a couple of times since applying it and it still works. Um, I also have uh, anti-glare glasses and this stuff is safe for anti-glare glasses. If you want to pick up your own bottle, Go to fearscapepodcast.com slash no more fog. Fearscape Media Network is your new home for everything weird and enlightening. Check out podcasts and YouTube shows covering content from discussions on horror films to the paranormal to meditation. Find out more at fearscapemedia.com. All right. Thank you guys for sticking around. We're back at Fearscape, and uh, we, like we promised, have a very special guest, Mr. John Tenney. How are you, man? Thank you for coming on Fearscape. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Now, the thing that I loved more than anything is that before we got started, he's like, we can get as weird as you guys want, and we're like, (laughs) we can get weird. So (laughs) I'm just going to go ahead and set the bar high. Yeah, really. (laughs) Well, you never know. Like, there's some podcasts where they're like, okay, we've got a list of questions. We're not going to stray from that. And I'm like, well, this is, I'm going to be all over the board. We're going to get one question in and I'm going to, you're going to lose track of what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. That's the way we roll. We like getting lost on on different trains, man. (laughs) Let's. Let's just, you know, let's throw a let's throw a penny in the pond and see what we get. So yeah, cool. it's like yeah. we love, you know. Yeah, I guess in a way we can kind of consider ourselves journalists, but at the end of the day, we're just, you know, paranormal occult UFO nerds, really. Let's yeah, <laughs> for sure. And and you know what? Like you were saying, at the, the the very very top, the conversations that I like to get into are the conversations we would be having if we were sitting around a bar or yep. sitting in someone's yes. living room, and just. Maybe someone's drunk. Maybe someone's high. Who knows? And you just, <laughs> right. you just get into those those weird, screwed yeah. up. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you do whatever yeah. you want, man. Right. Yeah. Those weird, <laughs> fucked up, dark, strange places. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we we had um, you know Alan Greenfield on last year. We had to do like a two part episode because it got real weird. Yeah. We, oh yeah. Because he doesn't like to meet until after like midnight already. Like so. <laughs> <laughs> and like, talk about someone you can't keep on track. Alan will go yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I, I am like a lot. Like most of my day as a normal like job person is spent wrangling people on meetings, and so um, I tried that with Alan, and no, it just it just wasn't <laughs> happening. So. <laughs> No, he subverts the anything you're trying to do. That's right. like trying to catch water with a knife. Like, it's uh-huh. <laughs> not gonna work. Oh man! But yeah, again, thank you so much, Don. We're super pumped to just talk to you about all kinds of weird stuff, man. <laughs> and uh, so Josh, you ready to get things kicked off, man? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just to kind of get the ball rolling, um, is there anything weird? that you're not open to. Damn, I'm dropping question. the hardball right off the bat. <laughs> I don't I don't really think so because the way that I approach high strangeness, weirdness, anomalistic phenomena, whatever you want to call it, heterodoxical research, whatever name you're going to give it, has always been 
like following as many of the paths as possible. Mm -hmm. So like if I'm reading about a UFO sighting and I find out that someone earlier that month saw a cryptid, like I have to start reading about the cryptid. And then if someone mentions that, oh yeah, you know, our neighbor, uh, does ceremonial magic i'm like well i've got to research that too like nothing and then you end up and i feel like this is something that a lot of people actually don't do like you end up having a wide berth of knowledge about everything and even stuff you don't want to have knowledge about like i was years ago i spent you know about five or six years uh, on a a UFO case called the Kinross case, which was a jet that disappeared in Michigan in 1953. And because of the way I am, like the next thing I knew I was reading jet manuals and how jets are built (laughs) and how jets fly. And now for some reason stuck in my head, I know about the, uh, you know, under scoop inlet air intake of an F-89C Scorpion (laughs) and the icing conditions that, you know, like, just yeah and, and aeroelasticity of wings and and, and all well, of a sudden you can speak on it because it's in your head somewhere so well, nothing's so, off limits yeah so you're so you're thorough is the point is is that it's not just about understanding the sliver of information that you have found yourself in but you want to be thorough you want to fully understand the big picture that that thing encompasses well and it's interesting because it's like um you know my sister which i just we just found this out my sister's a medium and like big into paranormal ghosts and spirits and psychic telekinesis all that crazy stuff the occult and magic and all that stuff and then i dropped to her about the uh this uap that i saw and she laughed she's like "Mm, aliens aren't real and i was like wait what (laughs) like of all the weird things you're into UFOs are where you cross the line. <laughs> that, that, that's something that's always fascinated me, though, because, you know, I've, I've said this now for three decades, which is it blows my mind that UFO people are like, hey, like think Bigfoot people are crazy and Bigfoot mm-hmm. people think that ghost people are crazy and ghost people think that UFO people are crazy. I'm like, we're all fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, we're, you're just picking and choosing which right. you think is crazy. Oh, yeah. And it's no like that. one knows what any of it is. So when you compartmentalize it like that, you're missing information as oh, well. Yeah. And like the 50s and 60s, when there was that huge like break between contactees and UFO people, like yeah. they hate it. Like talking to Alan Greenfield, that's one thing we definitely learned about. And Gray and all those guys just, they would not talk to each other. Like there was such a big like. I don't know rivalry yeah Yeah. disconnect and you know it's weird to think about that because now they kind of go hand in hand for the most part and i would say that that's kind of the way though that um the paranormal worlds supernatural world seems to be more embracing that idea that everything is potentially connected that it's all part of Mm -hmm. the phenomena step in plural not phenomenon (laughs) i get a mix um and uh, but it's but it's all kind of related to each other, you know. That like you say, uh, look at the times when we have a UFO flap. Did we also have? Was it preceded by a Bigfoot sighting? You know, mm-hmm. but to see what the commonalities are. Yeah, like that well, Enfield haunting. You, yeah, yeah, and then when you do research and you see, like, you have to be willing. You know, UFO researchers will talk about the Men in Black and UFOs and stuff like that, but they like very quickly glossed over the fact that you know you have the beginnings of the men in black with albert k Dunderback in the 50s mm-hmm. 
and he was doing a magical ritual when he first saw them. And right. they were preceded by like a cloud of sulfuric smoke. And like, they don't want to talk about that because then they're going to have to talk about like magic involved with the men in black. And that doesn't fit a narrative of like, right. there were some people on a planet that bolted a ship together and came here. Like right, right. now you have to start considering deeper and stranger possibilities. Well, and that's what we've always said, you know, that standard trope that the magic of yesterday is just the science of today, you know, and yeah. that's why I really love digging into the ceremonial magic aspect of ufology and seeing how that is connected, you know, especially now that we know things like telepathy and telekinesis and things like that, that those are possible connection routes to um, these entities and things like that. It all makes sense because uh, that's essentially what ritual magic and all that is, is about connecting to something up there. So, Well, and I, I read this article recently about um, a group of... Uh, I don't remember what they were called. Eastern European, I think, was the word used, but that settled in Appalachia, or they were they were they were stumbled upon in colonial times as being an advanced uh, race of Eastern Europeans in, in Appalachia, Kentucky. And I and I, I wish I could go back and, and find the article, but I can't in this uh, split second that I'm talking about it. But they thought it was odd that this this group of people who had um, olive skin. And pointy facial features, and then you, and then you, you know, so you talk about that, then you relate that to a lot of the accounts of like the Men in Black, which are often described as having olive skin and pointy facial features. So, you know, do does that as does do, do the Men in Black and whatever race they make up, does, do they predate, you know, a lot of the things that uh, started to be accounted for or documented in the in the you know the United States and other places around the world? Yeah, I mean, and this these. Like, again, and like I said, these are things that people, generally people, don't like to talk about because they want their weirdness very compartmentalized. <laughs> yeah. You know, my my slogan is diversify your weirdness. I tell people that all the time because you get, you do understand that, oh, when I'm studying UFOs, I'm studying the tentacle that's connected to an octopus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can, you can study the tentacles, but you're really interested in the octopus. You know, you you can study Bigfoot, but you're missing the octopus. Bigfoot right. is just a tentacle, you know? Right. And so when you have people who, again, I think the majority of people, one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough is, first and foremost, I, I am of the opinion that the actual paranormal community, supernatural community, even if you include Bigfoot, UFOs, all of that stuff, witchcraft, witches, even with the burst of all of that, is still massively small. Like, I think people think it's enormous. Mm -hmm. It's not. You know, the most watched paranormal television show on television has like 2 million viewers, okay? That, reruns of the Big Bang Theory get like 7 million viewers. Yeah. Right. The most watched paranormal show gets 2 million viewers and most of those viewers are watching it because they're horror movie fans. Not right. because they're paranormal researchers or interested right. in paranormal phenomena. That we're we're a small community. Like, uh, I think that people miss that a lot. Yeah, and, and especially um, being in the community as you know ourselves as a as a paranormal podcast, it really starts to hit home how really small that community is when you're trying to really grow and gain listeners and that sort of thing. Um, you know, anytime you're working, you know, in any type of medium and 
there's a saturation in that field um it's always hard to to get so it's like you think about the community as let's say 2000 people for working with numbers and in 1995 of them either have a podcast or a youtube channel or you know (laughs) so have a ghost hunting youtube show you know so um yeah so it's just it's just really hard to uh, make a name for yourself when the community is so relatively small in the grand scheme of things Um, i think it but i think it's interesting too that one of the bonuses of it being a small community is that it is small and so you do have a knowledge base of people around the community like i've never been on your podcast before but i knew who you guys were like i see the podcast and i see people retweet it and i see people talk about it on facebook and stuff like that so it's in my uh my my mind right and the good thing about a small community though is like when someone appears on a television show from nowhere and says, oh, I've been doing this for 25 years. Oh, I've done this since I was six years old. But no one in the community has ever fucking heard of the person. Like, yeah. like that's the good thing about being in a small community because you can immediately be like, oh, this person is bullshit. Like, right off the bat. <laughs> but also, it, it also, I think, is a good introduction for a lot of people because um, myself, for example, um, I had not heard of uh greg and dana newkirk until the hellier series right and so now uh having been introduced to them from hell you know with the hellier i go back and look and say okay what do they do before hellier right and so it's a good way to when you have those really um uh, engaging whatever they are youtube you know documentary uh podcast when you have those things and you start to look back at what people were doing before all this it really just again grows your uh breadth of knowledge if you will about a given topic mm-hmm. yeah. and i mean that's research too like when someone does pop up on my radar and you know it is spouting their bona fides and and how you know long they've done this it's easy now to check like yes. to go back I, I can't tell you how many people have shown up on, on paranormal shows and I, and they'll say something, you know, I've, oh, I've had this group in Michigan for 30 years and I have no idea who they are. And Michigan is an even smaller community. Like, yeah. I have an even wider knowledge of the people who are here from being here. And you go to their website and it says on there, like, you know, this website was started in 1995, whatever, whatever. Like, all you have to do is, like, check who is or, like, you know, see yeah. how long the domain was registered and you can see that the domain was registered you know two weeks before the television show aired and and you know it like you can create a fake persona but it's very easy to discern yeah. I, like i'll take the what's the website stefan that uh the wayback machine way back oh machine. yeah i love that's the way a back fantastic machine. site i watch yeah. so um, much hamster dance dude like I just... <laughs> <laughs> Not banana phone. <laughs> no, <laughs> dancing Jesus. That's a good one too, man. But you know, I, go ahead. when I was uh, looking into the, you know, when I was trying to get more information about the stuff that the Hellier folks were doing, I was like, well, I'm going to go back and check their, you know, we, you know the uh, weird. What's the name of the uh, weekend weird? There you go. And oh. uh, on the on the way back machine, and, and go back and look at when they first first posted the article back in. 2013 did they include more information then than they did you know maybe as the series and to try to just get and glean more information if possible 
Um, but but yeah, I mean that that's a great resource as well for anything on the web, uh, the Wayback Machine. So yeah, I mean, I know we. Because... Yeah, I just saying, I'm... I know I know we vet people that reach out to us. You know, like hey, you know, we're looking to come on the show or whatever. I'm like, I definitely do my vetting <laughs> that way. Yeah, the same way. Yeah, there was someone who was on a couple of years ago on a television show. And I way back machined their website and it, oh, their website had existed for, it was just their name, but their website had existed for like 12 years. And I was like, oh, so maybe this person is lying. So I went to the Wayback machine and checked it. And like their website 12 years ago is has nothing to do with the paranormal. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's a, it's a website for an actor. And then all of a sudden for you know 11 years it's just an actor's website and then a year before the television show comes out the whole thing is reprogrammed the whole thing is redesigned and now it's a paranormal investigators website it's like dude get a new url they're cheap right <laughs> sure, it's what it's like 11 bucks just yeah, get a new one it's, it's yeah man so uh so to get us back on the weird topic because i feel like we're <laughs> we're going to be talking about you know people's websites um, <laughs> talk about some Angel Fire and Geo Cities website. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I think I came across uh, something on YouTube uh, where you did a couple of seances. One was in a like a cellar, or I'm trying to think what it was. Uh, you were trying to, but, the, but there was like a an audible noise that was heard in a tunnel. It was from yeah. a few years ago, I believe. Um, but then I, I kind of. Th- that was like a thing was a seance with John Tenney. Is that something that you all, you know, you were doing on a regular for a while or? Yeah. So that was actually with Greg and Dana. We were trying to, and this was, I don't know, five years ago or six years ago. We were trying to think of something to do. And uh, I, I was at an event with them and I said, listen, I've got this idea. Uh, I want to do seances. We're at these events all the time. I want to do seances. Um, and I want to re- record and document everything and see if in a controlled situation doing seances, um, if we can glean any information because people do seances all the time, but they just kind of do them, you know, at a ghost hunt or mm-hmm. you sit around and you want to specifically try and talk to someone yeah. like these are, we're just going to do seances. We'll randomly pick you know, six people out of the crowd. And so we did them all across America. I, I, I don't even remember how many we did. We filmed all of them. And the craziest fucking shit happened. And it's all documented. And I we were going to put it to, together as a movie. But then they ended up like Carl had his fucking synchronicity with Hellier. And it just all <laughs> spiraled out of control. But I mean, it, just super interesting things happened. Like we would randomly, we would do this, we would na- name draw. We would tell everybody like 600 people at an event and we'd say, put your names in the hat and we'd randomly pick six people. We always picked one diehard skeptic at every Fantastic. single seance. Yes. It was the craziest thing because like we'd get a husband and a wife and that that happened a bunch of times. Like out of, you know, 400 people, you get a husband and a wife. <laughs> and then every single time though we'd get a skeptic and i mean a diehard skeptic yeah they were so happy to be involved with a seance and they were the only ones strangely enough that ever had a fucking experience during the seance. 
Well, it's like Josh has always said. It's like when you go in expecting to have an experience, a lot of times you're going to walk away with nothing. But if you kind of just walk in kind of blank and be like, all right, let's do this, that kind of is when something it's like It's like you're cold calling, right? You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're cold calling, you're hoping for something, but really you don't know what's going to happen. So, And then the, the last, I think the last seance that we did uh, was on the Queen Mary in California. And um, I told Greg and Dan, I said, I want to do like one of the biggest seances. Like, I don't know what, how big the biggest seance ever is, is but right. we have, we've got 250 people here. Let's do a 250 person seance. And so we did a 250 person seance in the chapel on the Queen Mary. And again, Greg and Dana filmed all of it. And we got the clearest audible responses of someone talking to us that in like 30 years, I, it still blows wow. my mind because wow. on, the, on the video cameras that Greg and Dana are running, the whole time, there's no audio of the voice speaking. But in the middle of the room, everybody had placed their digital recorders and tape recorders, and the voice showed up on all of those recorders, wow. but not on the cameras. Wow. That's Super crazy. strange. That is absolutely strange. It would just, huh. man, it just tells you, you know, that the, the intelligence that exists like that it's yeah. able to pick and choose what it wants because i'm sure that that's a thing where there could be five digital recorders and it decides to pick up on three right like right. Or, or something like that it's like that tells you i think it's a little more intelligent than than it might let so, on. did you all hear it in the room as well no no so it makes no. me want makes me wonder if it didn't actually speak audibly but just manifested itself on the recorders somehow well yeah so i mean that's the other, that's one of the things too i talk about in my lectures is like with evp with doing evp sessions you know you've got it starting out with you know rodeve and all those people back in the 50s and 60s and they're using giant reel-to-reel recorders and and, and yeah. analog audio tape and then when digital recorders came around like people just kept doing it with digital recorders and, but the thing is, is like no one ever figured out what it was or how it did it. And analog tape records in a completely different way from digital yeah. media. Like analog tape is recording a, a, an electromagnetic wave of the voice right. on a physical medium. And a digital recorder has a chipset inside of it that's measuring, gauging air pressure and reconstructing a voice. Right. So if you have a voice on a tape recorder and on a digital recorder you've got two different phenomena happening yeah i didn't even think about that yeah oh it, it, it's, I've, I've actually thought about lately um can the old technology get more than the new technology like if i took an old you know shoulder mounted camcorder out and did some stuff is that going to get me a different result than a newer, you know, uh, digital uh, cam corner would, you know, or same thing with a tape recorder versus a, a digital recorder. Is that going to produce a different result? I, I've always personally had better results with analog audio tape. Yeah, that's the, what I've heard too. Um, there's yeah. just something about it, um, you know. And the other, the the cool thing about the analog stuff is that uh, it's harder to fake too. Exactly. You know, and they're, you know, with digital, it's so easy to fake. And there are so many people that fake things and it's kind of really hurt the community all around. 
Um, but man, some of those old analog videos and analog EVPs and stuff like that, those are the ones that I really hang on to, to listen to and check out and kind of trust. Well, it, I think sometimes old technology too affords us, like I, I hear people complain a lot in the UFO community, like why are we still looking at these old black and white UFO right. photographs? And I tell people because there are still two or three dozen old black and white UFO photographs that we can't fucking figure out if they yeah. fake them or not. Right. Like now, like I can make you a photograph that would be very hard to figure out if it was faked or not. Right. And the, the old ones, we did figure it out because sometimes people were just hanging a plate by a string and now we have Photoshop, and so we can look at the negative and be like, there's the fucking string, this photo's not any good anymore. Yeah. But no one in 1950 thought that we were gonna have computers in our pockets when they took these photographs. So if you have three dozen photographs that no one can still figure out how they would have faked them, those are something to look at over yes. and over right. again. God, yes, 100% yes. Well, and what's the one where it's like, um, it's like at a farm, like in the- in Oklahoma. photograph. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's just—I don't. Nothing's ever been proven about that one, I don't think. So, nope. and it's iconic. Like you see that half of a barn and that little yeah. perfect pie in the yeah. sky. <laughs> like, it's great. <laughs> well, and, and that really that that depiction of a UFO really matches up with um, uh, Bob Lazar's kind of depiction of what he saw in you know in, in Area Fifty One. So you know, it's almost—is that pudding for Bob Lazar, or is that? You know, Bob Lazar had access to that photo. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on Bob Lazar, but. Uh, my thoughts with Bob, I thought, I honestly, like, I don't know. I, I think Bob believes what he's saying, but I don't believe what Bob is saying. I think that there's just too much. Honestly, by like 1994, 95, I was like, okay, like the UFO community is done with Bob Lazar. Like I had no thought in my mind that 15 years later, like he would pop back up and there'd be all these documentaries about him. But then again, I always thought in my head that people who were interested in UFOs and ghosts would be interested in the history of UFOs and ghosts. And so like when Bob Lazar popped up, the first thing they would have done is like you guys were saying is like, go back look at all the information when Bob first came out with all of his information and then said, oh, by 95 people were kind of done with him because he couldn't really produce anything. Yeah. He just has this story. Uh, I mean, again, I think that a lot of people, and trust me when I say this, like we, we live in a seemingly shared reality. I have no fucking idea what your reality is like. Uh, I have very slight ideas that you're maybe sitting in front of computers talking to me, but the end-all, be-all philosophical part of my brain doesn't even know if you guys are fucking real. Right. It doesn't make any sense that I'm sitting in front of some plastic yeah. and talking out loud in an empty room to it. Right. Like, none of that makes any <laughs> sense whatsoever. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's we getting just... scary and scarier how more real the Matrix starts to feel year after year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we were just talking about that, um, I think last week about, you know, if you were to take the technology that we're using now back to early 1980s, uh, you know, we, we would be considered time travelers from the far future. You know, I mean, it's just um, the fact that we carry 
computers in our pockets that have an app that allows us to make a phone call. It's not even a phone anymore. It's a computer right. with an app that allows us to make a phone call. Um, but what's crazy, what's, what's crazy though, is like, if you were like shocked back into time and you had your phone in your pocket and you were shocked back to like 1492 onto one of the ships coming to America, like, your phone would be a flashlight. Like it wouldn't do anything other than yeah. that. And it would only yeah. and it would only be a flashlight for like six hours and then the battery would die and you just have like <laughs> this thing that is shiny and they'd be like, what? Yeah, you just and got like, a anyway, flashlight and pick nude pics of your girlfriend. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. <laughs> to all Which these Catholic boys. <laughs> yeah, really. Well. But also that's one of the uh, topics too that I talk about with people because people will say like, oh, well, like if you look at our advancing technology, like we recovered it from crashed UFOs. Right, we do uh, you know, a lot. Whether it was Roswell or something in the 50s, like we, we gathered their advanced technology and that's where our technology has come from now. But I, when you think about that, like you have to remember that manufacturing is involved. So like yeah. if you did take your cell phone back to Christopher Columbus times, and it did kind of work where you could show pictures for a while. Maybe you had a solar charger so you could keep it running for yeah. a little while. Um, and they wanted to make another one. Like the first thing you'd have to do is you'd have to create an, a plastics industry. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. yeah, you need plastic. And then you'd have to create a silicon industry. And then you'd have to right. create a glass industry. And you, that like this is going to take hundreds of years to develop, right. which is what it took to develop cell phones in the first place. Well, and there's a there's a uh, I can't I think it's called Moore's law, but I don't think it's actually a law. But it's just but you know, but but it basically says that techno over two years technology doubles on itself. And if you go back and look at um, competing technology in the 1950s, and, and hell, even the stuff that we took to the moon, um, you know, there's, I remember in high school, there was a, a, my, one of my teachers said, there's more computing technology in your Texas Instruments calculator than there was in the stuff that took us to the moon. But I mean, if you look and you apply that, you know, technology doubles on itself every two years, then it explains where we are with technology. Uh, because right. you know it, it's not you know it, and then two years from now where, where will we be with technology so right, right. And, that, and and technology when it doubles doesn't necessarily get better like i know that that a lot of people would argue with me on that but like when uh, photoshop is great i've i used to do graphic design back in the 90s and so i had like photoshop one when it came out and photoshop one was like uh I don't know. It was like something crazy in the nineties. It was like 30 megs. Right. Yeah. And Photoshop is great now, but like a Photoshop in a full install, which they don't even do anymore. It's cloud-based now. Yeah. Like a full Photoshop install now is like seven gigs. Yeah. So it's like, did the technology get better? Because if you are having better technology, it should be getting smaller oh, and more compressed. Yeah. Right. Right. It shouldn't be getting larger in the background. Right. Like you should, you should be able to figure out how to make it smaller and more accessible. We were just, again, we were just talking about the other day that the, you know, the first personal computer that you could buy for your house had uh, 316 uh, kilobytes of RAM. It didn't even have onboard storage. Right. You'd have to keep everything on a five and a quarter floppy disk. So, um, and then, you know, but now i can get a micro sd card that's the size of like basically two pieces of rice 
um, that holds one terabyte of storage. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. So. Well, and then there's that whole thing where it's like, you know, we talk about technology doubling and stuff, but then we talk, there's different forms of technology because you've got those in the capitalist society where they're creating technology based off of what they think people want. So they're like, oh, well, we need to move. People are wanting a bigger phone because you remember like even in Zoolander, they joked about how small the phone was um, because phones were just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And now they're getting giant tablet sized phones again things like that but then there's also the technology that we're not aware of that governments and militaries probably have that they get first you know try at that we don't probably know much about well and that's that is interesting too back to ufos because like i love the contactees of the 1950s and like my favorite one of my favorite contactees is this guy named buck nelson who lived in the Ozarks and uh, UFO landed and they had a giant dog with them and they took Buck to Venus. And like, it's just this great, crazy contactee yeah. story. And you have Buck, one of the things that Buck talks about is he's got, a, he sees a clock on the UFO and it's got like, it's got a 17 hour dial. On it. <laughs> right. And he, draw, he even draws a little picture of it. And so one of the things I was like, thinking to myself because buck very uneducated man in the 1950s i was like is there a planet that has like 17 hours like that would have been hard for him to know back then right and so i started looking and there's no planet that has 17 hours like i was like okay so he just made it up (laughs) but while i was searching that i realized in somewhere in my research i found out that so on the international space station when you're in low earth orbit Yep. The sun rises and sets 17 times a day. So they actually have 17 incremental clocks on wow. the International Space Station. So then I start thinking, oh, fuck, was the military or the government screwing with these contactees back in the yeah. 50s? Did they not take him to a different planet, but did they take him into low Earth orbit and try and convince them he right. was on a different planet or aliens? Like, the technology he talks about is nuts and bolts. You know, they had a screen and there were levers and buttons and you and you would think like a hyper trans-dimensional advanced extraterrestrial race wouldn't be using like screws and bolts and levers but the government would have that maybe have that technology right i don't i don't remember if it was john keel or gray barker but in one of the books they were talking about that too especially like woody and different people like that how they the things that they saw were very human uh, even betty and barney hill like some of the things that they saw were very earth-like and so that was one of the things they talked about it's like well was this military was this our people that kind of put this together or did you know is this where telepathy comes in and they kind of showed you things that would better make you understand by sending signals to your brain to interpret it better using your uh your frame of reference or were the contactees some type of government psyop like yeah you know you're you're in the midst of of the cold war and the red scare Mm -hmm. and it's like are they doing i mean i assume now that when they look at the internet and they look at our conversations and 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 read our tweets and facebook posts like it's trafficking information and so with the contactees like that's another way that they could watch how information would be spread we're going to take this yeah we're going to take this one guy and give him a fantastic ufo story let's see how long it takes to get from the ozarks to connecticut you know and 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 watch how information moves because again too a lot of our technology is based out of people thinking about weird thoughts the internet comes from the arpanet which was created at sri in california people studying telepathy 
You know, they're studying telepathy. They want to do a telepathic experiment between California and New York. So they have to create data packet switching and they have to build a computer so that one guy in California can ask a question of a guy. But as soon as they did that and it was working, the government came in and was like, we need to see this for a second. The government takes it away for like 15 <laughs> or 20 years and then gives it back to us as the internet. And they're like, go ahead, do it. And then people wonder why synchronistic and coincidental events happen when you're on the internet. Like yes. it was developed as a telepathy machine. Right. Well, it, it's so it's funny that you say that because um, I was uh, I was watching a documentary the other night uh, telling uh, talking about Bob Lazar, which is why it was fresh in my mind tonight. Anyways, yeah. um, I was watching that documentary on uh, I think it was Netflix. And I go on my phone to type in, to look up Bob Lazar's company. I type in the word United. And the, his name of his company is the second offering in the search, like in the search, you know, recommendations. So it's like somebody's, something's listening. And oh, yeah. Together. How many times has that happened? Yeah, you're talking to somebody or whatever, and then all of a sudden there's an ad. Yeah, it does. It makes you wonder... Yeah. And this was happening before, like, that listening technology and stuff like that, that, yeah, all of a sudden, that synchronicity stuff would pop up, and it makes you wonder, yeah, is the internet still technically uh, for telepathy? <laughs> I mean, I think, obviously, we all know that everything is kind of monitored right now, just through our phones and through the mm -hmm. internet and advertising and whatever. Yeah. But the reality of the situation is, like, the internet, the internet we all know what memes are. Like that doesn't have anything to do with advertising. That has to do with one person gets an idea here, another person gets an idea there, and then they start making memes, and then all of a sudden it goes viral, and everybody's having the same thought within you Seconds. know thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah like, it's like like crazy. The Bernie Sanders memes right now, which are the yeah. best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one person made it, another person saw it, and was like, "That's a good idea." Right. While another person is seeing it going, should I make one? And then everybody decides to make one. And it's yeah. telepathy, like, hitting at this massive yeah, level. And we're like, oh, it's crazy. just a meme. It's so crazy. You're absolutely right. Like, how fast, especially Twitter. Like, we used to talk about that. I do improv comedy. And we used to talk about that all the time because we were always paying attention to kind of topical things about how some we'd be watching the Oscars and five seconds after something happened there's already a meme up and there's already this happening and then there's 20 more coming in we're like god twitter moves at the speed of light <laughs> like, yeah. it's crazy it's, it's super weird <laughs> and it's weird because you're you're right it's like the and especially because the internet is no longer at the station you know in your back office it's with you wherever you go and it's turned on because of data all the time it's not a dial up where you got to dial in anymore and it's just on all the time and it is and it's actively listening on top of all of that so, so you, you know you talk about learning you know ai and learning in uh, computer learning <clears throat> you know is it really uh are, are we uh teaching the ai or is the ai teaching us dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I think what i think is interesting is i have always had an idea in my head not, well, it's not in my head, actually. That's <laughs> kind of the idea. I've always had this idea that um, I, I, I'm a computer and that, or a better yet, a television set. I'm a television set, but the program, the television show John Tenney is somewhere else. Um, 
and, and like whether people want to call it a soul or a spirit or whatever, like the soul or the spirit is the television show. My body is the television set. And what I think is interesting is I don't even know I'm decades now I've had this idea, but I, I watched as we developed technology, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have a computer. It was the seventies. Like there were some home computers, but not very big, but I watched as we follow nature. Nature has been around for billions of years. As far as we know, nature has come up with some great fucking ideas. And one of the things that the universe and nature came up with was don't store information in one place. Like it took us building computers to figure that out. We would build yeah. these massive computers. They'd fucking crash. We'd lose everything and have everything. to start from scratch. And now we build computers so that everything is in the cloud. It's stored offline and it's stored everywhere else. But very little is actually stored on your computer anymore or on your phone. And I think that the universe figured that out with us. Like it doesn't make sense to have a machine like me that gathers, collects, compiles, and stores a lifetime of information. And then my machine dies and the universe loses all of that information. Right. So I, I feel like I what, who we are is stored offline. It's stored in the cloud yeah. somewhere. So so two so two thoughts that I have and, and one yeah, is like I fifty. <laughs> <laughs> like like so <laughs> so 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 one is uh, I've, I've recently been watched the documentary on Gaia called The Secret of Water. Um, Secret Life of Water, I think is what it's called. <clears throat> and um, I really have been thinking about so that that kind of offline memory. This is crazy. We were just talking about this earlier. I know. Today. So that <laughs> offline memory storage, is it in water? It, it, is our is our memories actually stored in the water that makes us up? Right. Because we know so, that water can take emotions it can it can hold emotions and, and things like that memory so, yeah, could memory right. all that stuff like that's and then this and then the second thought is is i always think about or i have been i say for the last seven months or so but thinking about ourselves as um a very uh, rudimentary computer in that we have a firmware and then we have the software the operating system and so the firmware is, a, is what allows us to um, to chew our food while also contemplating, you know, the theory of life. Because the operating system that is whoever we are is contemplating the theory of life while the firmware that keeps our body running is chewing our food and swallowing and breathing and all of that other kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, if that operating system that is kind of us, to your point, if we're storing that information else, we're either uploading it to the universal cloud if you will or it's you know water all the water on the planet is forever holding the memories of humanity as we've known it well we said remember body is mostly made up of water is that what's right. holding the memory but then my one thing i was gonna say is like that also makes me think of uh reincarnation too it's like you know you've got your google drive that's out in you know the universe up there that when you die you can pick and choose which pieces of memories and stuff you want to take with you to the next life and you get to choose a new avatar <laughs> right. yeah well and i think sometimes too because you always hear stories about like children will re remember their past yeah. lives or something mm -hmm. like that yeah. well like in it's stretching my analogy of like our bodies are a television set and our minds are the television show like i feel like children are new tvs and as they are tuning to their program, mm -hmm. they might accidentally 
catch the blips of other programs. So it's not so much that they're remembering their past life, but all of the past lives are broadcasting. All of the lives that have ever existed are broadcasting. And since they're a clean slate, since they're a brand new TV, as their brain is tuning into their own frequency, they'll get glimpses and flashes of other people, especially television shows that are on the same channel as theirs. So their family members, a lot of little kids will talk about grandparents they've never Mm -hmm. met before, parents that have passed away, brothers and sisters. And it's almost like those television channels that are on the same channel, their family, the little kids can pick up easier, but it's not the fact that they're being reincarnated, it's just the same television channel. So what about about the idea that all of the uh, patterns of configuration that make up a person, uh, all of those patterns are not infinite. Um, When I die, this physical body dies, in 150 years, this exact same pattern could be reused for a new uh, soul or spirit to inhabit. Oh, so it could be the whole idea of doppelgangers and stuff too. So, so could you be also picking up on the past energy that inhabited that pattern uh, that is being reused because we've hit the end of a cycle and we need to go back to the beginning and start reusing patterns from the beginning? Well, I think, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I allow for all, any and all possibilities. <laughs> I always think about, you know, if the universe blows up or goes into the big chill, big crunch, whatever, however it ends, the universe ends. <laughs> right. And then it explodes again and starts over again. If that's what the universe has been doing forever and will do it infinitely, if it keeps exploding, creating everything, and then so every single time it creates, uh, it has the possibility of creating another earth uh, that, and and since it goes on infinitely, it creates an infinite variety of this situation. The three of us have done this an infinite amount of times before, but in one universe, one of those creations somewhere in the infinite past, uh, I had hair and and in one of them uh, that, uh, Superman poster behind you, Stefan, wasn't there. Right. But that was the only difference in the whole of that universe. Right. Because if it's doing it infinitely, that means it has infinite variety. Right. It can make everything exactly the same, except for you didn't stub your toe that one time when you were four years old. And, then and so the patterns, goes. so the patterns do get reused. Right. But, and so maybe we feel those kind of shocks, whether we call them deja vu or premonitions, whatever we call them. Uh, makes me think of there's a movie, it's like in the 90s, what had Jet Li in it uh, called The One. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, That's yeah. And he was like going to different, uh, you know, dimensions or universes of that world and killing himself. And every time he did, he gained more power because the, the energy wasn't spread across millions of him. There was only spread across you know, five and four and so on right. and so forth. He was and the so, Highlander uh, of his own life. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but yeah, so, but I mean, it makes you think about, you know, if, if that's, you know, if there are those infinite possibilities is the energy that makes us, us also spread across those infinite possibilities. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just, well, and, and the thing that's really, and the thing that's really fucked up is with infinite varieties and infinite possibilities, if, if you allow for that, then there is going to be in one of those 
pocket realities or one of those universes, there is going to be a universe where no other universes exist. It has never fucking happened before. It will never happen again. Like, that's one of the possibilities. And we that might be the one that we're in. Like, we don't know. Yeah. It, and yeah, it's crazy how like the paranormal occult community and all that stuff, it's amazing how philosophical we've all become. Like, because we're just like you said, how there's this, finally we're starting to see this movement where, you know, people are accepting Bigfoots, UFOs, ghosts are all kind of from the same thing. And it's it's kind of making us all like these junior philosophists and it's really, really interesting. And it's it's kind of, it's, it's turned, you know, this hobby and this thing that I've been in love with throughout my whole life into spiritual movement for me you know like that's what it's become i mean one of the books that i wrote i i made a little there was a little argument that i made where like i think that when we talk about ghost hunting and and ghosts that that aspect of it uh with ghost hunting like i really in my brain and in my personal notes i always call it uh fantosophy which is like the philosophical study of the afterlife because even though we're trying to talk to ghosts and doing seances, like in reality, what we're doing is we are asking the largest question that humanity has ever faced. Like what happens when you die? And, and, and if someone makes a breakthrough in mathematics or that's great. And if they make one in, you know, fluid dynamics, that's great. And physics, that's great. If someone fucking makes a breakthrough in what happens when we die, humanity fundamentally changes forever, forever. Like, everything that we know goes out the window like right. it's and, and so when i see people approaching it like i love to have fun and i'm a weirdo and, and and it's all good fun and stuff but like at a certain point you also need to sit down and rhapsodize and philosophize about what you're actually doing and at my lectures i tell people all the time like when we talk about bigfoots and ghosts and ufos like the word paranoia comes up a lot in our community like people are paranoid yep. which of course is just para alongside of noia mind. it's alongside of your normal thinking is paranoia and i i always tell people what this community needs is metanoia right it needs larger thought metanoia yes. the definition is when you have an idea you should be thinking of the next idea. And when you get to the next idea, you should already be in the process of the next idea. It should be a never ending questioning of your ideas and your beliefs and the things that you're thinking about. Yeah, and and so I think, I mean, we actually, Stefan and I have been doing that, probably not knowing what it was called (laughs) um, (laughs) for the last year, as we've kind of been on this uh, spiritual journey that we've been on with all the weird experiences that we've had. Um, and that's why, you know, like this show is really um, gives us that ability to basically come on here and voice those ideas and get feedback from people that, you know, respond to us and stuff like that to kind of help shape what our next idea is going to be and where we're going to go from there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're well, constantly I'm... on Facebook Messenger, just like, what if it's this? And like the whole yeah. thing with, you know, what if water is memory? And, you know, just. And we love it when we talk to people we've never talked to before and they spout at us the same idea that we had and things like that, which is another reason we tell our listeners all the time. It's like, listen, you know, we will believe you. Like, send in your stories. Look, you may think it's silly, but listen to the other stories we've shared. There's somebody that's got one that's less than yours or more than yours or similar than yours. You're not alone. Like, if there's anything I could say 
that our listeners say to us is that you've shown us that we're not alone in the way that we think. And what you just said too is really important, which is in this community, and I think that obviously this is just a human thing, but in this community, I think it, it should be known, we should talk about this, which is your weird story is enough. Like everyone tries to outdo themselves or outdo someone else's story because they feel like theirs is lacking. Your anybody's weird story is enough. That's your weird story. Like right. you don't have to be abducted by aliens every week. You don't have to have to have 1500 EVPs. You don't have to go ghost hunting every weekend. Like the ghost that you saw when you were 14 one time, and that's the only weird thing that's ever happened to you. That's a fucked up story. And yeah. that's your story. Right. Yes. And it's just as weird as anybody else's story. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I hate when it becomes this competition where people are like, well, we got 150 EVPs at that last location. Oh, yeah. Like, first of all, I doubt it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm already like, yeah. I've done this for a long fucking time and I have a handful of fucking EVPs from that long span of time that I think are worth something. Worth something, yeah. Yeah. And th- and that's the other thing too is is, you know, because of that type of like boasting and things like that, people then, um, don't want to share their story because they don't think it's any good. We get that a lot of times where they're like, well, I just don't really have anything that's ever really happened before. And I'm like, well, send me, I don't care if it's a sentence that says, oh, I was 12, I was taking a shit right. and I saw my grandmother in the bathroom, right? It's like, and then they send me this whole long story that's the craziest shit I've ever heard in my life. And, and I'm like, you think that stuff's more than that? Well, they're like, well, on that one movie, it was like this. I'm like, yeah, but that was fiction. This happened to you. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it makes you, you know, I oftentimes find myself seeking additional experiences for a quote unquote proof. And I, and I asked myself the other day, um, what, what, who am I trying to prove what to, am I trying to prove to myself that I'm not crazy or am I trying to prove to others that I'm having this experience? And so at the end of the day, I think I've, I've resolved myself to say, the only proof that I need is for my own acceptance. I don't need anybody else to listen or hear anything that I've said and have it change their mind or change their world or whatever the case may be. The, this topic comes up at my lectures a lot and I tell people all the time and some people don't want to hear it, but like your best EVP, your best recording, your best video recording, your best photograph, is not going to prove anything to anyone like that's for you you can show it to other people but like it really doesn't have any evidentiary data like it's not being compiled and collected together with other data to form a body of compiled information which can someday solve the riddle of the universe like that's for you and it's good and if it's good for you great but that's all it is and so when people are like i have proof you have proof for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, skeptics it, are going to find anything that they want to to be skeptical well, because they can say this could have happened. Therefore, it's thrown out. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, people are either going to accept what you give them or they're not. Um, but, again, it's it's 
it's not for you, I don't think, as an individual or even as a community. You know, we're not out to change the 7 billion people in the world. We're not out to change their minds on UFOs or aliens or ghosts or cryptids or whatever the case may be. So yeah, we're not the really... Billy Graham of the paranormal world. Yeah, really. <laughs> although although um, uh, my wife was talking to me today about how we can uh, – how we can get money from the government she said we, we should start a, we should become a church the fearscape spiritualist church and then we just get all kinds of money from the government so. <laughs> tax free so, i will tell you though starting a church is a lot of fucking hassle i tried to do it years and years ago i've been ordained since 91 and uh i wanted to start a church and there's a lot of fucking paperwork there's oh, a reason bad. there's a reason why people don't do it more often but <laughs> What, to what you were saying, Josh, like, if, let us suppose that there are no ghosts, that there are no Bigfoots, no monsters, no UFOs, that none of it is real, if those things only exist, if the only reason they exist is as a mechanism for human beings to talk to each other about the fucked up thoughts in their heads, mm -hmm. then it's still massively fucking important. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like what's more, I, 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 in my life, I can't think of what is more important than making connections and relationships with other human beings yeah. for the short, brief span of time that I'm here. Right. And ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs and life after death and time travel and all of that fucked up stuff gives me more opportunity to talk to people and to right. make those connections and have those relationships. So it's fucking important whether it's real or not. Oh, I always joke about that. Like Thomas Merton, who um, I fell in love with back way back in the day and stuff like that, you know, uh, being from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, the monastery where he was at was right there. And so I've learned a lot about him, but it's like, here's a guy who's the type of monk that they don't speak there. They don't talk to anybody. They keep things. But yet this asshole was still going around the world like to talk to people and meet people, but he wouldn't when he was at his monastery. But boy, he'd go to New Mexico and meet all these Buddhists and <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> he still needed that connection too, even though part of what his belief system was for that monastery was to not have those relationships. Your only relationship was with God. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I I think that it's important that there are I mean, I'm, I'm not always happy that there are 9,000 podcasts, but I mostly, <laughs> I mostly am happy that I can't be on all of them. Like, I know I'm never going to be, yeah. but like, I do love the opportunity to be able to speak in this format because whether or not anybody even listens to your podcast or any podcast anywhere, like I'm talking to the two of you, yeah, which is two right. more people than I would have talked to tonight. So that's fucking yeah, great. I, I love it. That's one thing I told Josh I love about the show when we have guests is, is I, I meet all these great people and I cannot wait for like conventions and stuff to start back up so we can start going to those and, yeah. you know, getting to yeah. see these people again that we've met throughout the, you know, the years of doing this podcast. I, I want to see some of these people, not just through some plastic and silicone, because you know? yeah. <laughs> we've become yeah. really good friends with some people. And, you know? It's you like, know, I just and, do that. In the post-COVID world, we'll actually be rubbing elbows. So. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you know, I'm rubbing elbows in, in the now COVID world, too, because I'm not shaking anybody's <laughs> hand. <laughs> That's why I like. That's why I like Joe Biden always fist bumping everybody with his gloves on. 
I love it. Absolutely love it. But no, I do. I miss. I mean, that's another thing I tell people too about the camaraderie of the paranormal stuff. Like, even if there's, even if there's no, I, I've said this before at group investigations. I'm like, even if there's no fucking ghosts in this house, there's 20 of us sitting in a room together. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like in the dark, late at night, talking about fucked up shit. Like it's great. It's. Yeah. It's. I don't think enough people actually do it. I think that more people should sit around in the dark with strangers yes. and talk about fucked up scary yeah. shit and get their <laughs> brains moving. There are yeah. so many people, unfortunately, I feel there are so many people in this world who, for one reason or another, don't have the opportunity to do that. You know, whether it's economic or social, or whatever social, reason, yeah. that they just don't have, they can't dig out, you know, a weekend of their life to go and sit in an abandoned place looking for ghosts. Well, that's and... why I, I love it. Like my sister, I just moved out to Phoenix um, in October. My sister and my brother both moved out here over the last couple of years. And uh, that's my sister. That's all we did when we were kids. We're a year and a half apart. It was we would tell ghost stories, Bloody Mary, and just like everyone in the neighborhood. And so us getting to move back together in the same town has been insane because we've been doing that same shit that we did when we were kids. <laughs> and we're having so my wife's and like, it's it's so much was, fun and yeah what was, I'm thing, like, <laughs> what was the thing where you like you would go in a, a dark bathroom and turn the light off and say something into a mirror and bloody then, mary oh is that what it was okay mm -hmm. yeah yeah bloody bloody, we used to do that all the time man i was like oh. candy man i thought that was well yeah candy man yeah i mean it's an old you yeah. know legend that there's different versions but yeah candy man took from that as well but yeah i mean we used to do that we would sit in there and say bloody mary well growing up Catholic and going to Catholic school, I always assumed it was going to be Sister Mary something that was going to be in the Mary with blood in her eyes. So we kept looking for like a habit to be on top of that every time we would do it. Just all that were, stuff, were, man. Were you both uh, raised with religion? Yes. I, yeah. Southern Baptist for me. And then Catholic for me. I, I was I, raised with nothing. I was raised like I, I came to religion understanding religion was even a thing when like, I don't know, I was probably seven or eight and I realized my friend Corey didn't go to the same school as I did. And I, I remember telling my dad, I was like, why doesn't Corey go to my school? And he's like, oh, he's Catholic. He goes to St. Dennis. And I was like, what's Catholic? And my dad's like, there's a Bible in the living room, go read it. Like oh. that was my introduction to- Well, dude, I'm from Toledo, Holy Toledo. There's like a Catholic church every two feet. And so I didn't even know there were other churches growing up. And um, and when I hit about 13 or 14, that's when I started kind of read, because I was always into the occult and things like that. Um, so I started looking at other things. I went to a Jehovah's Witness church. I went to a Mormon church. And then I moved to Kentucky and met Josh, became a Southern Baptist for a while. And then while I was a Southern Baptist, I became a, a Wiccan and Buddhist. And like, but it, and it's been my whole path is to just constantly learn and add and grow and build and and things like that. So it's like, I still respect that Catholic part of me that makes me still scared of the exorcist. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much uh, shirked off the bondage of religion um, after high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, I consider myself a humanist uh, more than anything now. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, well, first of all, really quickly to your exorcist point, <laughs> you know what's, what's scarier than the movie The Exorcist? Huh. I was at a convention and Linda Blair was at the convention and I was, uh, I went in the little green room to have lunch. And after I went in the green room, I, there was a for guests only bathroom. 
and I opened up the door and Linda Blair was taking a hot shit. And that was way scarier than the movie. Hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> man, it would only been better if she was throwing up. <laughs> but it was crazy because the bathroom, it was like a one person bathroom, not to get too in detail, but like the toilet was facing the door. Oh, so like, oh, and she didn't lock the door. So like I opened the door and I'm immediately locked eyes. With yeah. Linda Blair. <laughs> pushing one out and I was like <laughs> not the basic oh, instinct cool. scene I wanted <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's fantastic. no but it's interesting awesome. with it's interesting like watching people take their paths and uh whether they grow up with religion and stick to it or whether they find the ritual and the and the spirituality that they need in other forms like mm -hmm. watching that grow is really interesting yeah. as well like, I, there is something to, I mean, obviously, I think that we all kind of understand, like, the archetypes of rituals. Like, there is something about rituals and having necessary components. Yes. Uh, what we're doing now is a form of confession. Like, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a kind of telling of your soul and bearing of your stories yeah. to, you know, release it out into the world and, and make yourself feel better. It's like, there are things, even um, you talk about, like, being Wiccan or... or, or you know, doing me, I do magic. Uh, one of the things that always cracks me up is that we don't even understand, like a lot of people don't understand how ingrained it is in our society, like ritual and magic. Uh, all of those things are embedded, you know, when uh, I, I do a lecture and I, I tell this story, I was at a local bar uh, near my house and this guy next to me, the bartender knows me, the bartender told the guy sitting next to me what I do. And the guy was watching a Red Wings hockey game. And he looked at me and he goes, you really believe in all that magic shit? And I said, well, <laughs> I go, I don't, I don't really believe in anything, but I have a lot of ideas about it. And he goes, it's all bullshit, it's all garbage. There's no such thing as magic. And I let him sit there for a second. I was formulating my idea and it kind of came to me in a snap out of the cloud. And I said to him, uh, you a big Red Wings fan? And he goes, yeah. And I go, uh, you grow their, your beard out so that they'll win? And he goes, yeah, of course. And I said, why? Like you're doing magic. You're doing yeah. sympathetic magic. Thinking that you're growing your beard out helps your team win. Thinking that wearing a, a special shirt helps your team win. Yeah. Uh, cheering at the screen, telling a player, go, go, go. As if right. your voice in your living room somehow affects what is happening on that mm -hmm. field is magic you are it's so ingrained in us we do, do right. it naturally uh you know I, I i tell people too you know if you watch a ceremonial magic ritual okay you've got usually an elder who knows exactly what's going on you've got some initiates who listen exactly to the elder who knows what's going on the initiates do whatever the elder tells him uh and then usually you have uh, the uninitiated and acolytes surrounding the initiated and the elder and the, the acolytes chant in unison. And then you have this hollowed piece of magic ground covered in chalk and strange symbols. And the chanting and the initiates and the elder are trying to make something happen on that magic piece of ground. What I just described is a fucking football game. You have a coach, you have players, the players are surrounded by fans. You have hollowed ground covered with chalk and markings and the people chant and sing to 
affect change on that piece wow. of ground through the initiates yeah. in the elder. Like wow. Football yep. is a ceremonial magic ritual. Yeah, uh, and I've always said that. I mean, one of the things that I've hung on from Catholic upbringing is the bells and smells. And when I got into Gardnerian Wicca, that was the thing that attracted me at first was those bells and those smells. But I mean, then I, you start thinking about it. It's like, that's a movie theater. You walk in, you know, it's the same thing. We're being, it was a routine, there's a ritual. We're being shuffled to the front. You can smell the popcorn. It triggers this excitement about the movie. Like all, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's magic. It's everywhere. It's It's absolutely well you, even if you look at you know high school high, high school is a you know a watered down form of ritualized initiatory experience mm-hmm. you have your different grades that you go through your de- and then you get your degree, degree and yeah. then you become then you become alumni which means illuminated they yeah. put a mortar board on your head which is the symbol of freemasonry you're wearing a black gown like saturn the god saturn like it's it's like people don't even ask they're like oh it's totally normal for me to wear a black gown and a mortarboard on my head while someone hands me a rolled up piece of paper after i've graduated and gotten my degree like that's magic in in our society we just accept it that's just the way it is well and i've always said that knowledge is magic magic is knowledge and there's a that's a perfect example of that that's a perfect example of that oh man well (laughs) well, john i don't what? Wait a second. I just want to say, and to go back to when we were talking about computers and advertising. Advertising oh. is magic. Oh, for sure. You know, a Nike swoosh is a magical sigil. Like, you see the sigil, you know what it represents, you know how deeply it's embedded into you. They use magic words, just do it. Mm-hmm. They show you imagery, sounds. It's it's a it's a ritual. It's it, they're doing magic to convince you that you need something. Subliminal. You know they use, yeah, they use color, shape, form, all of those things, sight, sense, all of those things to get you to buy a product. I did advertising for a long time, and I I'll tell you, like there are a lot of people doing magic. They don't know they're doing magic, but they're doing mm-hmm. high level magic to convince people that they need unnecessary shit, which is why I had to leave. Like, I could not do what I was doing knowing what I know, like bet, selling yeah. people shit that they didn't need. Yeah, that, so, uh, that that's always the hard part about any day job that we have when we can see those things. But yeah, I was listening to NPR the other day, they were talking about advertising and they were talking about how different the landscape is about how in like 19, the end of the forties, early fifties, there was worldwide something like 40,000 advertisements going at all times, you know, could be a billboard, anything. Now it's closer to 40 million um, that we are being inundated that much more since the 1950s because not only do we have tv radio movies we now have the internet we have social media we have all these other ways plus billboards plus everything else that there are something to the effect of 40 million different advertisements that are available right now i'll I'll tell you something that'll make you both really crazy and it'll make your listeners crazy too so the last advertising company that i worked for which was in the late 90s uh, we were experimenting because the internet was coming around in the late 90s. You know, I think most people probably had AOL. I still had Prodigy, at that time. But yeah. Prodigy, AOL. <laughs> Everybody was using web crawler and yep. sometimes Dogpile if you really wanted to do a deep dog search. Pile, yeah. Remember Dogpile? Yeah. Um, but we were experimenting. Our company was experimenting with different forms of advertising. And so we were um, 
I can't, I won't say the product name, but we were, we were working on advertising for a new gum. And there was this new form of advertising, which was at the time we were calling it uh, full immersion augmented advertising, but I don't know what it's called now. Um, probably transmedia advertising is probably what they're calling it. But uh, what we did is we like we went to Chicago. Uh, we did. Uh, we we picked. We knew, knew, figured out our target demographic. We hired uh, hundreds of actors and actresses. We wrote scripts for them. And then we just set them loose in the city of Chicago. So they would walk around the streets and whenever they got near someone, they would go into the script that we had written for them. And they would always, they would pass you talking about the gum that we were advertising. Mm -hmm. So that's how we were embedding the idea into people's heads. It wasn't even through television or radio. It was someone walked past you and you casually heard someone say something about this product. And then that would you over the course of two weeks, we watched our sales of that wow. brand well, we, of gum. Well, we've always said word of mouth is the strongest form. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and so the reason I left that job was because I was sitting at my local home bar and there was a guy sitting next to me and he started talking about the beer that he was drinking. And I thought to myself, fuck this sounds like a script like i don't know if this guy is really liking this beer or if he's a fucking actor yeah and i said okay i have to get out of the advertising industry because i'm gonna lose my fucking mind everybody's gonna be an actor no one's real i gotta get the fuck out Uh, that's exactly what's gonna happen to me (laughs) now too is i'm gonna hear somebody talking about something i'll be like you motherfucker because i'm an actor too and i'll be like did you get a script (laughs) god that is that that's why we're paranoid, John. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. well, see, so, so Stefan, what we need to do is just walk around the city and have a conversation and just keep saying Fearscape Podcast whenever we get <laughs> close to people, and exactly. then they'll start listening. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Go to, from city to city to city. Just, just walk get your, around. Get your, get yourself about six or seven hundred actors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can get them on Fiverr. I'm sure we can get them on Fiverr. There yeah. you go. I mean, actors, I mean, you're just doing this for experience, guys. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. I've never heard that one before. (laughs) Build your resume. Yeah, build your resume. God knows I have. Um, But anyways, John, I wanted to get out of here. I didn't want to keep you too long. I know we've been talking forever, um, but man. We didn't talk about stuff that was uh, too spooky or or fear-filled. No, not yet. Well, just the last bit on the advertising. I think that's the one that's going to keep everybody up at night. (laughs) It's like their Everyone wife's going to be like, oh, my God, I tried this new Coca-Cola today. And people will be like, not you, too. <laughs> I mean, maybe we're maybe we're in that universe where everyone is an actor. This is this is also true. Maybe <laughs> all of your listeners are just now figuring out that the three of us are actors. And we've been getting them to buy the product for your skate. That's right. <laughs> we also have T-shirts available. No. <laughs> no, there's no Stefan. There's no Josh. There's no John. It's just one guy doing three yeah. voices. One <laughs> guy. 
Oh it's, man, it's actually God, rest the, in peace, Jim Henson. Yeah. Right? It's actually it's it's actually the AI behind the internet. It's yeah, not even, yep. AI behind the internet's got a hand up all of our asses, puppeting us. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wanted to give you an opportunity, you know, to plug the stuff that you've got, just in case um, people are had been in the dark and didn't know the stuff that you've got going on. But I wanted to give you the opportunity there to let everybody know where and uh, what they can find with you. Yeah, so my website is weirdlectures.com. And then uh, I've tried to make all of my social media the same, which is just my name, John E.L. Tenney. Uh, but I tell people mostly, I'm, I'm a terrible like pitch salesman, plug salesman. <laughs> uh, but I tell people all the time, like just type my last name, T-E-N-N-E-Y, and then weirdo into Google and follow it down whatever follow it down whatever path it leads you to if it leads you to a book that's great if it doesn't that's fine yeah uh, yeah There's i'm doing plenty. this we... because I, I i'm doing this because i love to share ideas and i love to hear people's ideas and i love to talk to people like i, I really could care less if i sell a book or yeah. a t-shirt or yeah, well, we we retweet your stuff all the time. And then, of course, like stuff that's a little more political, I'll retweet on my own because I love it, too. But it's like um, it, it's all out there, man. And and yeah, please, people, if you're listening, check, check. If you haven't yet, you need to because it's it's a fun ride. <laughs> I, I did, I did want to ask you, and, I, and this is something I, I want to try to start doing, is uh, what are three books that you've read recently that you think people should check out? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I've been rereading this quarantine. I've been going back over a lot of older books that I probably haven't read in 15 or 20 mm -hmm. years. So actually, you know, um, I was going to go and grab the stack next to my bed. Um, I guess. Whew, this is a, a weird one. Uh, I guess so I've been reading Phantasms of the Living again Phantasms of the Living is a book that was written in the late 18 early 1800s early 1900s by the Society for Psychical Research it's two volumes each volume is 600 pages and it's 5,000 cases of apparitional sightings yes we just talked uh, about that we did spiritualist movement on our last episode so. oh yeah great <laughs> stuff yeah the Sidgwicks yeah. Gurney Myers all yep. those people fantastic uh, so, Phantasms of the Living, uh, I've been reading, uh, I reread Challenge to Science, which is Jacques Vallée's book, yeah. uh, uh, anything by Jacques Vallée, I think people should read, it's really insightful Agreed. into that stuff. Uh, I always tell people to read Keel, uh, and then, you know who doesn't get mentioned very much, and I think it probably should get mentioned more too, I'll give you two good authors, this is actually now hitting me who I've been reading a lot of. So Hillary Evans. Uh, Hillary Evans uh, has a book, a uh, number of books, but usually they're called something like Ghosts, Spirits, and Interdimensionals, or uh, Saints, Devils, and Aliens. Like, it's always three <laughs> three things that are supposed to be different that are end up all being the same kind yeah. of idea. So Hillary Evans, anything by Hillary Evans. And then uh, there was an author named T.C. Lethbridge. And I think that Lethbridge is a very underreported, unrecognized kind of genius in this field. He was uh, an archeologist, uh, medieval scholar. And he was the one who actually came up with the idea of like the stone tape theory that like spirits could be embedded in buildings. 
uh, and he developed a way of uh, using uh, pendulum and dowsing rods to find uh, archaeological evidence based on where like the spirits would tell him it was using dowsing wow. rods and, and stuff. And uh, he's got a book called The Power of the Pendulum, The Sons of God, uh, just great stuff. Uh, T.C. Lethbridge. So T.C. Lethbridge, Keel, Hillary Evans, Jacques Villain, and Phantasms of the Living. Sorry, that's not three, but well, that's that's good enough. So. Yeah, no, four <laughs> four is my favorite number. It's fine. <laughs> but again, thank you, John, so so much, man. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on and taking your time and hanging out with us, man. And we would love to have you come back anytime and just shoot the shit, man. I could do. Yeah, this. I love it. Thanks for having me. It's been a ton of fun. All right, we are so thankful again to John E.L. Tenney. Uh, thank you so much, John. I, I, I'm still just in awe um, by the thoughts that you put into my head. <laughs> like yeah. I'm gonna be thinking about this shit for like the next week or two, um, as well as not trusting anyone's product advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, some random person on the street's going to be talking about something. Like, oh, not even random. It's like I told yeah. John, I was like, my wife's going to be like, oh my God, have you tried the new cereal yet? It's so good. I'm going to be like, you liar. Well, <laughs> when you think when you think about it, though, what, what he's talking about with the whole thing about sending actors out to sell us, I mean, it's, it's basically it's basically social media influencers now, right? Mm-hmm. That's all that is, is that's your influencer population on social yeah. media. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of what he was insinuating that, you know, yeah. before social media, that's what they did. They literally right. just right. sent people out. Now they, they do. They hire them. They hire them to put their product and have people listen. Yep. Wow. Because, you know, instead of being out there and walking around and maybe talking to two people, you're talking to 75,000 or whatever right. your numbers are. Or whatever are. it is. Yeah. You know, like our Fearscape numbers. <laughs> 75,000 million billion. Um, but no, uh, yeah, make sure to go to uh, weirdlectures.com. Uh, his blog on there is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and follow his Twitter. I, yeah. I, 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 if you're a Trumper, don't. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, if if uh, we didn't even talk about it in tonight's interview, but he also uh, had a near death experience when he was younger, and today I think was the thirty second, and when we recorded this was the thirty second anniversary of that near death experience. Mm, definitely uh, something we need to follow up with him on next time we talk to him. Yeah, so he's actually got a really good little write up about that on his blog. And so I highly recommend you check that out too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah, we need to get out of here. And so I want to get to our listener story for the week. Uh, This one comes from uh, another person out of Louisville, Kentucky, um, a woman named Deidre. Um, She sent this story into us when I was a um, a soliciting uh, stories on the uh, Fearscape Media Network fan group page. Um, which, by the way, if you guys haven't uh, joined that, you should. It's a fun group um, where all of our podcasts talk about stuff. But anyways, this is Deidre's story. So this will sound bizarre, but I have an antique wooden clock that seems to house a spirit of some sort. It even talks to me. I believe they used to call them kitchen clocks. It has a glass door on the front of it that opens with a pendulum inside and you use a key to wind it up before starting the pendulum swinging back and forth. Now when I first got it, I tried winding it up and starting the pendulum, but after just a few minutes, it would stop. 
I tried this several times and it would always stop after minutes, sometimes even seconds. After I finally gave up on it, it began spontaneously chiming every now and then. It chimes for a while and then it stops. Sometimes it just starts up in the wee hours of the morning while I'm sleeping. Oh, and by the way, I haven't wound it up since the first time I tried to get it to work. I've spoken to it with no discernible reaction occurring. Sometimes I will walk into my bedroom where it sits on my dresser and I'll speak to it. A couple of times it has chimed in response to my speaking. Otherwise, there seems to be no rhyme or reason to when it chimes, although I don't recall it ever chiming when I'm not in the room with it. It's odd. And I can't think of any other reason for it aside from something paranormal. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. I mean, we were just talking to John about the stone tape theory, you know, and like here is this woman talking about this potential that this spirit lives inside this kitchen clock and, and she can talk to it, that it chimes at her when she talks yeah. to it. She hasn't wound. And this, you, and I, we used to have one of these, these big, you know, those, those type we, you do, you have to wind them up or they do not work. There are no batteries. You talking about like a mantle clock. Yeah, sure. That's another name for okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's got, but it's got the pendulum. So it's kind of more like a smaller grandfather clock, you know, um, things like that. But yeah, very, very interesting. And yeah, Yeah. I, I, the fact that it never happens when she's not in the room and don't give me that crap about, Oh, she just can't hear it. Listen, you can hear every sound in your house when you know your house. Right. (laughs) And so, and, uh, I just, I think that's very, very interesting. So thank you, Deidre, for, for sending that story in. I absolutely love it. Uh, it's a fun one and uh, I love that you talked to it and I, I love yeah. that you've like like just held on to that and said you know what it is what it is it's my friend in the clock so yep. if there was an Indian in the cupboard there could be a ghost <laughs> in the clock <laughs> yeah. you know just a, just a quick information uh, anecdotal information do you know what the difference between a grandfather clock and a grandmother clock is Mm-mm. a grandfather clock has a square or rectangular face and a grandmother clock has a circle face. Mm, I thought it was going to be the grandfather clock has a pendulum hanging down, and the grandmother clock does not. <laughs> no, the uh, the grandmother clock has two pendulums hanging down. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, let's get out of here. Remember, you can always send in your listener story to us at fearscapepodcast at gmail.com or simply find us on social media at fearscapepod. Uh, DM us there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or simply go to fearscapepodcast.com and submit a sighting or whatever. There's a hundred ways for you to send us those stories. We want them. (laughs) Send them to us. But yeah, big thank you again to John Tenney. And of course, big thank you to the Fearscape Media Network. Uh, Check out fearscapemedia.com for all the other podcasts that are out there and all that stuff. Look forward to February 1st. We've got another episode of Astral Stew coming out with uh, us and Santosh. So that'll be fun on YouTube. Uh, But let's go ahead and uh, blow this pop stand, man. My name has been (laughs) Stefan. It has been, and it always will be Stefan. And for now, I will catch you on the flip side. This has been Josh. The truth is now. Oh, I got duck bumps. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night. 
We hope you have enjoyed this guidepost on the road of high strangeness with us. And we thank you, as always, for listening and joining our caravan to the weird and unknown. Please consider supporting us as we continue our journey to find the answers we all seek. Fearscapepodcast.com forward slash support.